Hey folks, I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week is a special episode, the beginning of a topic you're definitely going to see more of in the coming seasons of this show. It was recommended to me by a listener named Robin, who told me in October that I needed to write about one of Florida's greatest treasures, our lighthouses. She was right, of course. Somehow, I've never really written about one of those lighthouses in depth, outside of the ghost that supposedly haunts the upper level of the St. Augustine Lighthouse. As I was compiling the other episodes of this season, I found myself surprised by how frequently lighthouses came up. While examining the rum runners of Key West, lighthouses came up. While searching for the racers of Daytona, I found myself right next to a lighthouse. While watching the weird Jaws sequels, I saw a ton of lighthouses. I was seeing them everywhere, so I decided it was time to finally start digging into their presence in our history, our culture, and even our ecosystem. What you may not know about our Florida lighthouses is not only their fascinating history, but also that there is an entire organization dedicated to protecting these lighthouses today. I visited a lighthouse with them last month, actually, and discovered an incredible community. But first, let me tell you about our sponsor this week. This episode of Wait 5 Minutes is sponsored by A Trombo Creative. A Trombo Creative is owned and operated by my dear friend of over a decade, Annie. Annie has been designing and costuming professionally for six years and even did costumes for yours truly throughout my years in theater. Through close collaboration, cohesive design, and hands-on fitting, together you and Annie can create the perfect costume for your production, cosplay, special event, or photo shoot. She turns your ideas and inspirations into a wearable reality. You can check out more of her work on Instagram at atrombo.creative, and you can book your appointment at her website, atrombocreative.com. There are links to both of those in the description. Thank you to A Trombo Creative for sponsoring this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. All right, let's begin this story at the Jupiter Inlet Lighthouse. Rising from the edge of the Loxahatchee River just off the Jupiter Inlet, the lighthouse is a staggering and beautiful orange-red tower with a black-capped light structure on top called a lantern. Jupiter itself is in Palm Beach County, the northernmost town within it, with an unusual origin story for its name. If you remember from last season when we visited the beautiful shop of Florida Classics Library, the town that shop is located within is called Hobe Sound. They got that name from the indigenous persons that once lived in the area before colonialist interference. They were called the Hobe, spelled J-O-B-E. When the Spanish wrote down the name of this town, they did it correctly, noting it with a J at the beginning, as the letter J in the Spanish language does indeed make an H sound. When the English took control of Florida territory from the Spanish, they read the Spanish maps, and the story goes, they misunderstood the name of the town as it was noted by the Spanish colonists. They thought Hobe, as in J-O-B-E, was actually J-O-V-E, Jove. In Roman mythology, Jove is the original name of the god of thunder and the sky. In Greek mythology, he was known as Zeus, but in the Roman mythos, Jove's name was eventually changed to his more common title, Jupiter. The English couldn't read Spanish notation and decided to make it their own thing. Thus, the title Jupiter floated around until a town finally bore the name officially. In all my research, I struggled with an answer for what came first. I know there was a fort, but there was also a lighthouse and eventually a town. I wasn't entirely clear on which came first. 
so there's uh, it gets confused a lot of times. I've seen goodness knows uh, a lot of newspaper articles and postcards that have it wrong. Um, the lighthouse was on a a lighthouse reservation, and then the lighthouse reservation was surrounded by a large military reservation, which included a fort during the Second and Third Seminole Wars. But the fort was several miles away from the lighthouse site, uh, farther upriver. That is Josh Liller, by the way. I'm Josh Liller. I'm the historian and collections manager for the Loxahatchee River Historical Society, which is the local historical society for Jupiter, Florida area, and specifically operates the Jupiter Inlet Lighthouse and Museum. Josh went back to school to study history and has spent the last several years learning and teaching about the Jupiter Lighthouse, its history, and its surrounding area. He likens it to, quote, drinking from a fire hose, end quote, due to the intimidating amount of information he takes in. But having taken one of his tours in person, it is truly impressive how much stuff Josh knows about Jupiter. The lighthouse is easily the main event for the entire location where Josh works, and that is no surprise. It is impressive. So we are a 108-foot-tall tower. It's a brick tower with a double wall. Uh, Most people don't realize that almost all brick lighthouses from the 1850s onward were double-walled. So the outer wall is conical. It's wider at the base and narrower at the top. This makes it more stable. But the inside has a second wall inside that's vertical. And this double wall design was really new in the 1850s, but a great idea because it both provides stability and there's a, that by having that gap inside the wall, it's good for airflow, especially because bricks are kind of porous. It helps kind of get the salt and the humidity and everything to kind of not be trapped in the bricks. The top portion of the lighthouse called the lantern, uh, as well as the stairs inside, uh, are made out of iron. We have granite brackets that hold up the deck. We do have, as you mentioned, our Fresnel lens from the 1860s. Fresnel lenses at one point were used for every lighthouse in the entire world. Augustin Jean Fresnel was an engineer and physicist who revolutionized the way light was transmitted back in the early 1800s. The Fresnel lenses used at lighthouses are otherworldly. I'd recommend looking one up just so you can see how fascinating they are in design. They somewhat resemble pine cones, in my opinion, with layers of triangular prisms that stack as they get closer to a central bullseye. The lens essentially captures the widespread of the light source from within and turns it into a beam so the light can be seen at a distance. It's just this column of light out into the dark. Josh tells me that there are only a few lighthouses like theirs still active, and theirs has an interesting little quirk. We have a fairly unique aspect to our lens in that one of the, what they call the bullseye panels, the circular lenses that help bend the light into a broad, bright beam, uh, it was cracked uh, probably by some previous storm damage or, or bird strikes or something like that, but then uh, broken more significantly during a hurricane in 1928. And in a, a very rare occurrence, they were able to piece it back together and repair it sufficiently to, to put it back into use. It doesn't make a big difference in uh, the light today. Out of the, the four bullseyes, it's hard at night. If you see the beams going around, to really tell which one is the, the damaged one. And so there's a big metal X-shaped crossbar that holds that glass together. Uh, we're very fortunate that the accident happened when it did. If it had happened maybe 10, 20 years later, they would have taken the lens out probably and replaced it with a modern optic. 
Florida itself has far fewer lighthouses than you may suspect nowadays, especially in comparison to other states in the country. If you had to guess which state has the most lighthouses, what would you pick? Perhaps at one time I would have guessed Florida. We are mostly coastline, right? I could also comfortably guess Maine or Massachusetts, but neither are correct. In fact, Michigan holds the title with 115 lighthouses. The Great Lakes are prominent means of transit and being able to navigate them safely is essential. The lighthouses are key to that. Now, Florida has had loads of lighthouses to some degree, some smaller and able to fall apart, some more permanent and larger. Throughout the 500 years since European boats first made their way to our shores, we cannot imagine how many variations of a lighthouse there have been on our shores. Today, however, there are only 30 standing lighthouses in Florida. That is certainly not a massive number in comparison to Michigan, but to make that even clearer, there are only six lighthouses in the state that are open to the public. They are St. Augustine, Ponce Inlet, Cape Florida, Boca Grande, Key West, and the Jupiter Inlet Lighthouse. The Jupiter Lighthouse started here for good reason. So a lot of early lighthouses are for harbors and, and very local aid. By the time they went to look at really expanding lighthouses in America in the 1850s, they're looking at seacoast lights, things to guide people along long stretches of the coast that were fairly, especially places sparsely inhabited, like ours was at the, so they wanted to help guide people along the east coast of Florida, especially because there's a kind of a cape just south of us on Singer Island, we're right across from the corner of the Bahamas. And they picked out this location here, the inlet being more of a convenience than a, anything else. And they found a very nice natural sand hill that they could build the lighthouse on for a little free elevation. Uh, uh, that's where we're still standing today. And it wasn't exactly an easy process. There were loads of stops and starts. So they had to bring everything to build the lighthouse down from Philadelphia by ships. They couldn't get it through the inlet here because it was too shallow, so they had to go to the only other inlet that, at the time, which was up by Fort Pierce, and then barge it down the Indian River, which in some places was very uh, tangled and, and windy through you know, narrow mangrove channels. Um, very logistically difficult. The construction got interrupted by the Third Seminole War. They wanted to pull the workers out for their safety. So from the time when they first set everything down here, they had plans and materials, and the time that the lighthouse was actually finished, built, and lighted uh, was a six-year span of time. We've been uh, active since 1860. The lighthouse has only been active for a year when the Civil War interrupted, and the lighthouse was disabled for the war uh, by the Confederates, as pretty much all the southern lighthouses were. After the war, we're put back in service, and it's, it's still a very remote location for decades. People are coming down here to hunt and fish on sailboats, a few people kind of passing through to settle farther south. The Seminole Indians are coming out from the Everglades to trade. Fortunately, relations were peaceable with everyone at this point. It's, it's a very challenging life for the keepers here, having, you know, very, no town, uh, very remote location, uh, very few resources besides natural ones. There's no stores, there's no doctors. It's a... Very challenging pioneer lifestyle for them. And civilization slowly starts creeping closer with uh, steamboat service on the Indian River. And then finally, Flagler built his railroad down to West Palm Beach and passes within oh, just a mile or two of, of the lighthouse. And the town starts to spring up, and, and suddenly civilization is a little closer. But for about three decades, this was you know really on the, on the frontier. And 
kind of doubling as the the early uh, welcome center for South Florida for a lot of people. <laughs> I climbed the lighthouse myself. I was surprised to find myself winded when I reached the top. The internal structure is incredible. The shining black steps winding above and below, natural light filling up the corridor. When you arrive at the top, you can see the cracked Fresnel lens and the rest of the glass, gleaming that brilliant green shade that old glass has. Stepping onto the lantern, you can see the Atlantic, the inlet, and the river. You can see the towns along the water, the houses, the bridges, the boats. When I was walking the grounds beneath the lighthouse, I could hear people blasting music from their boats. From above, the sound of the music, the wind against the structure, and the waves distantly pouring onto the sand, it was a rare kind of peace. It's admittedly a little frightening being that high in the air, and yet, the top of the Jupiter Inlet Lighthouse is exactly the kind of place I'd like to be. I was jealous of the man whose job it was to stand up top answering questions all day. That would be a nice way to spend a few hours. Having spent my afternoon pondering the lighthouse, it was no wonder to me why so many people are devoted to the care and preservation of lighthouses. There is something magic to them. I had actually just spent the morning in the company of dozens of those lighthouse devotees, and I found myself marveling at their commitment. It takes a lot of work to do what they do, as I had just learned. I had just attended one of the three yearly meetings of the Florida Lighthouse Association. I knew I was in the right place because of the presence of lighthouse-themed shirts. And when I say lighthouse shirts, by the way, I mean Hawaiian-style button-downs with various lighthouse designs patterned across them. Other people were in comfortable t-shirts that denote a specific lighthouse, or some people were even in shirts with lighthouses stitched in beads on the front. Some folks heading toward the meeting had lighthouse lanyards on, hats with lighthouses on them. Some carried books in their hands from the lighthouses they had visited. I knew I was heading into a meeting of enthusiasts, but I was delighted by the depth of that enthusiasm as soon as I stepped through the door. I was in the company of the Florida Lighthouse Association, also called the FLA. Josh himself is involved with the FLA. So 25 years ago, a group of people from Florida lighthouse organizations and just lighthouse enthusiasts that live in Florida uh, got together to form a organization to support Florida lighthouses. At the time, there were not very many lighthouses open to the public. Um, there were only a, a handful of lighthouse organizations that were supporting specific lighthouses. Many of the lighthouses had been abandoned and, and weren't being cared for and weren't accessible to the public. So this was uh, a very successful network in terms of uh, encouraging lighthouse interest, getting people the opportunity to visit lighthouses that weren't necessarily accessible all the time, to support organizations uh, with grants and, and just uh, sharing information and support had have had a lot of success with a lot of lighthouses getting restored and reopened, at least to some degree, uh, in that span of time. You may not realize it, but lighthouses are not exactly the most cared for historical structures, as much as they should be. Some are privately owned and some are within government protected land. Maintaining a historically accurate structure that is also a functioning lighthouse takes a lot of work. The people of the FLA come from various backgrounds with various passions, but they all share their devotion to keeping the lighthouses lit. And when that is not feasible, they just want to keep them standing, want to keep them there so that people can marvel at the history of these fascinating structures. In general, within the room, the conversations drifting around were of two variety, lighthouses, of course, and vaccines. 
Some folks brought their kids, some couples traveled together, people chatted with one another and asked after their loved ones, asked how the last several months had been. There was some conversation about where the next lighthouse trip would be or what the previous lighthouse trip had been. My listener who recommended I visit Robin found me at a table and we chatted about her favorite type of lighthouses, reef lights, which can be found south of the Florida Keys and are themselves a completely wild story. A mother and son pair who sat at my table pulled out a phone and showed me dozens of pictures of various lighthouses they had visited in Florida and beyond, recounting the folks they'd met while traveling and the t-shirts they almost bought. The woman on my other side shares of a trip she had gone on with the FLA years ago, over a decade ago now. Occasionally, some terminology would get thrown around. Material used in construction, the size of the lenses used, the era a lighthouse was built, and I found myself blissfully out of my depth. These people spoke the same language, and thankfully, they let me in on their club meeting. The FLA meetings are not always in Jupiter. They drift around the state, but this one was here so that the members could visit Josh's lighthouse on the inlet. Josh gave an incredible presentation on the history of the lighthouse itself, sharing pictures, faces, and names of all the figures involved in the timeline of the lighthouse. But Josh wasn't the only person who presented at the meeting. No, I was in the middle of a genuine organizational meeting. There were presentations on marketing and fundraising. All the newcomers were invited to the front of the meeting for a photograph, myself included. A man from a group called Artworks Florida did a special presentation. He designs and creates custom lighthouse lenses. In fact, Artworks Florida designed the lens for the 2019 horror film The Lighthouse, starring Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. I love that movie, so admittedly, I was starstruck. Everyone was really just marveling at the craft. These lenses are intricate. It's amazing. On top of that, there was a long conversation about a project that the FLA is running. They have started selling lighthouse license plates through the state where proceeds go to the FLA's fundraising efforts. Josh notes that the Jupiter Lighthouse is actually currently on the license plate. If you're wondering where that fundraising goes, another presentation by a representative from the St. Augustine Lighthouse was revealing. You see, a lot of what the Florida Lighthouse Association does is fundraising. That fundraising supports grants that the FLA provides to lighthouses around the state. So uh, St. Augustine, for example, just got $50,000 toward some repair work they're doing on their ironwork, which is ironwork with lighthouses, especially in the Florida climate, is, is no matter how well you try to take care of it, it's always going to be a challenge. And then last time we did a, a repainting project on our bricks here at Jupiter, we got money from for that project as well. That's how it goes with historical buildings. Sometimes they need some work, and when it comes to lighthouses, you want to keep them historically accurate, which is, in and of itself, a headache. So, some fundraising is necessary, and then it's granted to the lighthouses that need the funds. But there's a quiet tension in all of these conversations about the lighthouses and helping them survive that stewed just beneath the surface. There's actually a part of the FLA's mission statement that stands out to me. It says they are a group dedicated to the preservation and restoration of Florida's, quote, remaining lighthouses, end quote. I had been noticing this trend over the course of the meeting, this recurrence that had left me more and more intrigued. Right at the beginning of the meeting, I was given a copy of Lighthouse Digest, a magazine I was naturally enamored with. On the back of the copy, there was a list of lighthouses from around the country. The list was called the Doomsday List. All of them are in disrepair and in need of sponsorship so they could keep standing. The list spans the whole country, but the ones in Florida make up a significant percentage. 
The reef lights, the ones out south of the Keys, seem to be in the most danger. They are far out at sea, not easily accessible, and weather and waves threaten to bring their entire skeletal structure down. It was becoming increasingly clear to me. FLA is fighting an uphill battle to protect these lighthouses. In the modern day, lighthouses don't serve the same function they once did. The United States boasts the most lighthouses in any country, and when they were popping up everywhere back in the day, they were vital. They were lifelines to sailors out at sea, attempting to navigate coastlines, to keep an eye out for hazards, to know the safest way home. It is impossible, really, to know how many lives have been saved at sea over the decades thanks to the tireless presence of these sweeping beams. But that was before advanced technology entered the picture, and now GPS, radio, and more appear on the decks of most boats at sea. Lighthouses, despite their beauty, their unique silhouette, their haunting ethereal quality, they hold some antiquity in their DNA. They are increasingly archaic, increasingly falling out of use, turning instead to relics to be visited and admired. Don't get me wrong, there is certainly an economy for that, but as I said, only six of our lighthouses in Florida are open for visitation. But I missed something in my trip to Jupiter. I visited in the daytime, and no one really needs a lighthouse when the sun is overhead. Because of this, I didn't see the most incredible thing about the Jupiter lighthouse. It still runs, like the light turns on. So we are still an active lighthouse. Oh, okay. Uh there are there are a number of a couple hundred lighthouses around the country that are still active they are certainly less important than they once were uh, thanks to things like GPS uh, but we are uh, you know we're still considered important enough that the Coast Guard if we have uh, an extended we have to it's a public aid to navigation first off so the Coast Guard has to approve anytime it goes out or be notified immediately if there's a a technical problem that puts it out of service. And um, for example, we may be temporarily darkened for some time, for uh, maybe a year or so for uh, securing the lens against any vibration issues from an upcoming bridge project nearby. And if that happens, they will put a temporary light out on the, on the outside of the lighthouse with a modern optic just to ensure there's a navigational aid there for you know, six months or a year if necessary happened back 20 years ago when we had a, a major restoration project then as well. So the bridge you have to cross to get toward the lighthouse is going under construction soon, and because of that, the light will be darkened. To compensate, the Coast Guard will have a temporary light to ensure there is still guidance out there. The lighthouses are not out of use. They haven't totally disappeared. The doomsday list is there for a reason. It reminds us of the danger that many of these lighthouses are in, but they're not gone. Early in the morning, right before sunrise, uh, driving down US-1, it was very cool to see the beams just sweeping across the horizon as wow. I drove down through the dark uh, and had some you know, small sense of what it was like to see a, be on a ship out there you know, 100 years ago, seeing those go by. And Jupiter isn't alone. Florida has about 30 lighthouses still standing, and Josh says about half of them are still active, still illuminating the night sky, including the Ponce Inlet Light and the St. Augustine Light. Pardon my ignorance, I just assumed lighthouses were totally out of use. I was completely wrong. Now, of course, there is the doomsday list, and if only half of Florida's lights are still active, that does mean that they are in decline, but I was wrong. 
I assumed we had lost any of that old nautical magic. I assumed the skies of our coasts were no longer containing the impossible beams from those old Fresnel lenses. I am glad to tell you I was wrong. A time may come, however, when that will no longer be the case. A time may come when the lighthouses go out and the dark skies and seas on our coasts will remain so. The FLA remained dedicated to fight off that oncoming storm. It seems an odd crusade. I ask Josh, why in his opinion is there such an active community devoted to preserving our lighthouses? Uh, you know, I haven't only gotten into it in the last decade. It's a little more or tricky to, to understand entirely myself, but the impression that I get is in the last 30 years or so, uh, as the last lighthouses in America were being automated and the, the age of the, the lighthouse keeper was coming to an end, I think there was uh, an increased awareness because of this. As this became newsworthy, it got people wondering, it's like, okay, well, the, the keepers are gone and then this is, you know, something from the, the past. A lot of people thought lighthouses even then were, were beautiful things. You know, what's, what's the future of these great structures? And there's been an increasing interest in people wanting to see them preserved and restored and opened. And I think you get a, a positive feedback loop that by people who, who get passionate about it, getting lighthouses open, then other people who just are looking for something to do go and visit them and they're really impressed and suddenly they're more interested in going to other lighthouses uh, and you know seeing their lighthouse locally get restored. Josh also presents another idea that I love. Lighthouses are altruistic. And so I think also lighthouses, it's just, it's, it's an altruistic part of history. Uh, they're built to aid mariners. Uh, they oftentimes have really fascinating stories that get uncovered about their, their past and how they tie into a local community. And I think that, you know, sometimes in, in times today when there are uh, challenging parts of history that perhaps are uglier than we once realized. Lighthouses frequently are more of a, a bit of a neutral part of history, that they were, you know, something created altruistically. They weren't meant to wage war or uh, you know, oppress anybody or anything like that. He's right. History can be painful, as you all know. History can sometimes feel like a beatdown, like a reminder of what's been wrong and what is still wrong. Lighthouses are a standing historical reminder that at some point, someone out there decided that we should look out for one another. It's tough out there on the seas, deadly, dark, frightening, and those lights could guarantee for so many some sense of security. It could mean a way home. That's certainly true in the company of the Florida Lighthouse Association today. There are no lighthouse keepers anymore, not really, but there is the FLA. If anyone is keeping the lights lit, it's them. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I am so glad that you are here. If you are brand new to the show, or even if this is your first episode, welcome. There are some wonderful stories waiting for you. There's only been two episodes so far this season besides this one. Go check those out if you haven't already, and check out the episodes from last season as well. 
If you're looking for a good place to jump in, you can check out this season, last season, or if you're looking for something similar, I have written about this area more than once in the past. I recently wrote about Florida Classics Library at the beginning of this year, and I've written about how this area of Florida is extremely dedicated to protecting our sea turtles. I will provide links to both of those episodes in the episode description. Season 7 of Wait 5 Minutes is brought to you by A Trombo Creative. Turn your ideas and inspirations into a wearable reality. Go book your appointment at atrombocreative.com and thank you again to A Trombo Creative for sponsoring this episode. If you're looking for more Wait 5 Minutes, well, there is a website just for you. Go to wfmpod.com for transcripts of current episodes, additional photographs related to the stories, and photos from my trips around the state. I'll be updating past transcripts from episodes as well, so you can go back and revisit your favorite previous episodes in new ways. Head to wfmpod.com for more. You can now pick up Wait 5 Minutes merchandise at Cast and Clay on Etsy. Cast and Clay is run by one of my best friends, Sophie Aparizio, who designs each of these stickers alongside the rest of their catalog. We've got a Drink More Water sticker using photography from our friend Lauren Nix, a Wait 5 Minutes sticker in the shape of Florida, and a sticker featuring the show subtitle about Florida by a Floridian in a vintage citrus style. Grab them individually or as a set of three at Cast and Clay on Etsy. Head to the link in the description to pick up your WFM merch now. If you did enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review. It helps the show become more visible and it means the world to me. You can also find me and share the episodes on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. If you want to send me a message, you can do so at WFMPod at gmail.com. And you can follow my personal account on Twitter at WFMNick. Look forward to hearing from you. I'd like to give a special thank you to Josh Liller, who I have bugged so much in the last couple months to help this episode come to life. He has been such a delight. Josh Liller has actually worked on two books that you should pick up. The first is called 5,000 Years on the Loxahatchee, and the other is called Florida Lighthouse Trail. I actually have a copy of the second, and it is invaluable if you are looking into exploring more of Florida's incredible lighthouses. I'd also like to thank the Florida Lighthouse Association for being so kind and letting me visit their meeting. I had such an incredible time speaking to the members. If you want to support them, I've included a link to their website so you can find ways to support their mission. All of the music used in this episode was originally produced. Next week, it's the 5th of July, and to honor the blockbuster season of movies, I'm going to tell you about maybe my favorite blockbuster of all time, and it's... Florida-produced, less-than-perfect sequels. Next week, we're talking about Jaws. Until then, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself, be good to others, and please, drink more water. Have a good week. Take care of yourself.